0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Can we stand and greet each other with a holy hug or a holy handshake and just say, it's great to see you. Let's do that for a moment and let's greet one another. great to see you let's let's pray together and worship father thank you for bringing us together for the songs that we've sung the hugs we've given the love we've shared thank you father for this beautiful place called cornerstone and bringing us together now in jesus name we pray lord amen i remember years and years ago being on a plane on the way home from chicago to norfolk virginia and the plane had only four people on it i've never been in a plane that was completely empty four people and the pilot got over the loudspeaker and said you know since the plane is empty we're gonna treat everyone to first class so everyone move up four people so we all rushed to first class It had been a long long trip away from home and frankly I was lonely and I felt like God was really far from me God never moves by the way right sometimes we're the ones who move from him I was sitting there And I looked over to the next three seats, and one of the young people there had a a little booklet and was reading it. And it was an Our Daily Bread booklet. How many of you have seen the Our Daily Bread devotionals? I think all of us have. And I did the brave thing of asking this young woman, may I borrow your Our Daily Bread? And she gave it to me. She looked at me really weird and odd. (laughs) Gave it to me. And I picked it up and read it. I had seen them before had worked with them before, but I really needed that little booklet that day on that plane. And today's my joy to be able to introduce to you the CEO of Our Daily Bread. Now, we know Our Daily Bread through this booklet, but I will tell you, I've been amazed at the incredible ministry right here in Grand Rapids and the incredible organization of Our Daily Bread. Translated in over 52 different languages. Over 130 countries, over 30 global offices. A ministry that takes the word of God and the gospel in so many ways, beyond just a devotional book, as you will see, in so many different ways. And one of the things that has really impressed me about our guest this morning is that he travels throughout the world serving in the role that he does. And I've called his office at times, and his assistant has said, I'm sorry, Dr. Moreno, he can't speak with you. He's out in the middle of the jungle somewhere in you name the country. So he's not a posh CEO. He's in the field. Empowering and helping others who are sharing the gospel with others in the word of God. Truly our daily bread. Amen. Will you please join me in welcoming our speaker this morning, the chief executive officer of our daily bread, Dr. Matt Lucas. Matt. <clears> Thank <throat> Thank you.
1: Well, that's a very generous introduction, better than I deserve. Um, thank you, President Moreno. And I uh, love hearing those stories about how the ministry of our Daily Bread Ministries has impacted people around the world. In fact, um, I'm really not here to talk to you about our ministry, uh, although I'll be getting on the plane Friday to go to Africa to do something that Garrison was just talking about. Um, but i was really been thinking about a question uh, related to you here. Um, the question is this, is how would you summarize your life? How would you summarize your life? Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit. I might summarize my life with a photo album or a memoir. Probably most of you in at this room might use a TikTok or a reel or a compilation of, of Instagram posts. But how would you summarize it? Or maybe a better question is, what would be the highlights? What would be the key moments that you would focus on? What would be the things that you would want to emphasize, that you'd want to communicate? And more importantly, when you tell the whole story, what would the story tell? What would your story tell? What would be the narrative arc? What would be the point if it was a, a fable? What would be the moral of the story? What would that be? I've been pondering these thoughts quite a bit lately. I turned 52 a couple weeks ago. And um, as I've reflected on my own life, and I've reflected on the life of many others that, have, that I've known for many years, I've wondered, like, what's, what would be their story? What would be my story? And as I thought about this, I thought about a passage in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. It's the last section of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus summarizes his entire sermon. And he tells the story, the story that we, most of you, many of you who've grown up in the church would know, right? It's the story of the wise man and the foolish man, right? The foolish man builds his house upon the sands, and when the storms come, the house goes flat. You don't want me singing that song. I can't hold the tune in a bucket. The wise man builds his house upon a rock, And when the storms come, the house stands firm. So I've been thinking about this a lot um, and what this would look like um, in my life, what it would look like in your life. Part of my story has been being associated with our Daily Bread Ministries. I've been there for two years, and this is our mission statement to make the life-changing wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to all. In fact, I think a lot of you have experienced Um, Our Daily Bread, you might not have known it, but through Reclaim Today, it is our initiative for spiritual formation for millennial and Gen Z um, students. In fact, Daniel Day and Trevor have spoken here a number of times last year, and I know that our team is working with a research team here on doing research around how millennials and Gen Z are engaging the Bible. Um, So you've done work with Reclaim Today. If you haven't, if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you. Go to reclaimtoday.org. you can look it up, you can engage it on Instagram, you can use it to see it on TikTok, we'd love for you to engage that. But again, I said I'm not here to talk about that, because I want to talk to you about another part of my life, and um, it's interesting that I'm here, because um, I sat where you sat, at a different institution, a little over 30 years ago. So I'm from Corbin University, It's where my undergraduate's from, which is a sister school of Cornerstone. Cornerstone and Corbin University are part are used to be historically part of a denomination with the General Association of Regular Baptists. So Corbin and Cornerstone are actually have a deep history. So Corbin University is in Salem, Oregon, and so I sat there as a freshman, a little over 30 years ago, in chapel at the 10 o'clock hour. I think it's universal all Christian colleges and universities do chapel at the 10 o'clock hour. So I was there as a student. Ten years later, after I graduated, I completed my master's and doctorate and came back as a faculty member. So I taught with the professors that taught me, and I came to chapel and did that. And I sat here as a, chapel, as, a, as a faculty member. Then I became a dean, and then I became provost, and then I became executive vice president, and now was an administration. And So I was coming to chapel, and I was seeing it from a different perspective again, but I was in the same space, in the same place of a Christian university. Then after doing that for nearly 16 years, I left and went to Indiana Westland University where I served as chancellor and did that for five years. And now I'm the father of six daughters. I've been a father all along, but I'm now outside of Christian higher education. But my daughters are either all graduates or are about to graduate. So six of them have gone through CCCU schools Four of them have graduated, two are sophomores, and right now they're at Indiana Wesleyan and they're in chapel. At least they better be. <laughs> um, <clears throat> at least they said they were going to be when I was talking about, I was going to be talking to you guys about this when I was visiting with them over Thanksgiving. So I've been thinking a lot about this. Like I have thought about what this space is and what the place of a Christian university is supposed to do. And as I was asked by President Moreno to come speak, I was like, what do I speak about? I could speak about a whole bunch of things, like tell you exciting stories of works being done around the world. But I kept coming back to like, I was where you were. And I remember my friends. And as a provost, I remember students, the top students and the bottom students, the students that I had to send home because they cheated Students that had to go through discipline, like I saw the whole, like I saw how the sausage was made. So I saw the whole thing, and I thought about like, where are those students now? A lot of them I still keep in contact with, and what I found interesting is I was like, like, what what's the what's the unifying thing here? Is that, and I realized there there wasn't a unifying thread, and the fact that you couldn't predict where those students would turn out. You'd be surprised. At the students that I thought, man, they are got it together, they're going well, and 10 years later, not. And then other students who are a part of the athletic team and whatever the athletic team is here at Cornerstone that has a reputation for being the one that is not necessarily doing what they're supposed to be doing, and every Christian university has one, so I don't know what this one is here. There is one. I've been surprised that those students are some of the students that actually, man, they're on fire for the Lord 10 years later. Like what's what's going on? And I came back to this passage, Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty-four to twenty-seven. Jesus says, "Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock." It's interesting, we began this, we singing this morning, the first song, it wasn't planned. I'll build my life on the love of you know, the firm foundation of Jesus' life. Like, that's the story. We sing it. We sing this song, this passage. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with the great crash. So I was thinking about this passage and praying about what I would speak with you guys today about. I kept coming back to like, what's the summary of my life? And what's the summary of the lives of people that I've seen? Like what, what's been the through, what, has there been a through thread? And the reality is this, it's this passage. There's been one story actually, I was wrong. There was actually one thing that's been true is that every single life has had Adversity. Every single life, the storms have come. Some of you right here have actually already experienced some of those storms. Some of them of you just knowing statistics, that some of you have experienced some really horrific things already in your life. You've faced real adversity. There's probably some of you in here that have recovered have experienced severe illness. maybe death in the family but most of us in this room i'm guessing those of us who are under the age of 22 we haven't lived life long enough yet to really experience adversity the ones that shake you to the core the one that disrupts everything that causes you like everything that i learned everything i believed like what am i going to do with that and so as i've been thinking about the story like how i would tell a story i've been thinking about these four men that I know really well. I like, I know them; they're good guys, and I've known them for a long time—at least thirty years. I've watched them. It's not my story; I've watched their story, and I'd like to just kind of tell you their story briefly in a table. Right? We're not. This is not a memoir. So it's not Instagram post. I'm just going to give you a story. And this really was driven home to me this summer because I got back to see a couple of them. And we spent a week together. And one of them I hadn't seen in quite a while. And it's just like picking right back up, right? Like this is the kind of friends that you haven't seen for a while, but you can just tell. You just go right back to telling the stories. And you go, oh, yes, and the jokes and the inside jokes and the fun times and the laughter. You can just assume a lot of things because you know each other deeply. So I know these guys. Now, they're anonymous. I changed the names. Um, And they're all about the same age. You'll see. They're about no more than seven years apart. In fact, you would like them. On campus, when we were in school together, they were popular. They all played sports. They were likable, very successful. They were good guys. They are good guys, all, all four of them are still alive. Their childhood, they all grew up in Christian homes. You look at them, you get just say, hey, I, I know the homes. They're Christian homes. Now, you never know. There's always like secret things that you don't always know. But from what I can see, from knowing them, Christian homes. Parents, all married. Still married to this day. That's a feat, not all my friends could sell that, and I'm sure that's not true for all of us in here, but that's a feat. That's, a, that's stability. They, three of them went to Christian, private Christian schools for high school. One went to a public school. So, like, they're grounded. These guys are grounded. They all went to a Christian college. Not all the same one. They all went to Christian colleges. Like strong Christian colleges. Like ones that ground you in scripture like Cornerstone. There's a, I know the CCCU and there's a wide spectrum of, court, of, of Christian universities in there of, of those that are by name only and those who really take the word of God seriously. And the schools that these guys went to, they took the word of God seriously. At least 24 credits of Bible theology required to graduate. Grounded. And they did well. Two of them went on and got graduate degrees. One in M.A. in Bible. In fact, Ray was so good that he actually taught before he graduated from his undergraduate degree. Like he was, he was brilliant, brilliant with the Bible, brilliant study, great storyteller, really new scriptures. Jess and Eric just said, "Hey." Four years is enough, I'm done, I'm never going back. Adam, because he's a teacher, is like, hey, I need to go on and finish my, you know, I need to at least get a master's degree so I can move to pay scale. Um, all of them married Christian women. I was at their weddings, three of them. I was in their weddings. I was I was in the wedding. Like I knew them that well. I'm in the wedding. One of them I was not around because we had moved. So Good guys, Christian weddings, man, the gospel was presented. It was, it was beautiful weddings. It's just that you could see the testimony of Jesus Christ in their lives. It was powerful, wonderful. All the wives, three of them went to a Christian university, Christian college. One went to a public. You're starting to see a pattern here, right? Like, like I, these guys, I know them really well. I didn't just, I handpicked them a little bit, but like, I know these guys well. A lot of similarity. Looking on the outside, you wouldn't see much difference. Their careers—they're successful. Ray became a pastor, very successful pastor. Really gifted, evangelizing people coming to know the Lord. He's leading churches. He—he he, he never got, actually became a lead pastor, but uh, he was a teaching pastor, uh, men's group. People, men's groups were growing; they were flourishing. It was phenomenal to see what was happening under his ministry. Jess, salesman, very successful, came out of the, you know just came out of college and just started making money, like he just did well. Eric became a PE teacher at first, but then decided he needed to go into business, and so he's no longer a PE teacher, and he's actually done very successful as well. And then Adam, he's an elementary teacher, loved in his community kids absolutely adore him he's a phenomenal phenomenal teacher they all had many children three children for the first two eric had four daughters and then after they kind of much pretty much had grown up they adopted a fifth child through the foster care system a, a young boy so they have five kids and then adam has five has five children So, they've they've got the experience of raising kids. That's not easy. It's challenging. And then adversity hit. Every one of them. Ray, the adversity for him, his wife wife got sick. Um, She had an affair. He was disappointed in ministry. And his wife left him. Not what he was planning when he was sitting where you guys were today. That was not on his agenda. It was not on his agenda at the altar. It's not what he was thinking. That's what happened. That's that's where he is right now. It's divorce. He's now divorced twice. Jess made some business errors early in his career, hid them, borrowed money that he shouldn't have borrowed, got into some pornography, committed adultery, Divorced. That was not on his ticket when he was sitting in this room. This was not his story that you would say was going to happen to him. Adversity hit. Eric lost a lot of money. He invested, blew it all. It's embarrassing. He doesn't like to talk about it. He just, it wrecked him financially. Real conflict with his wife. They lost their savings. They really had to start all over again. It was bad. It was a stupid business decision. Just Bad. And he just egg on his face. And then Adam, his story is that his son shot somebody accidentally, killed them, and he went to jail. His son went to jail. Like, you don't recover from that as a parent. You don't sign up for that when you're sitting here today, you guys. That's not something you say, hey, I'm going to have a kid, and my oldest son is going to kill somebody, even if it's by accident, and he's going to go to jail. The legal fees, the embarrassment, the challenges of wrestling through that, these are all this is all big adversity. Like it came. And here's the interesting thing. Here's been the response. Ray has completely deconstructed his faith. You would not even recognize him as a Christian today. The best he can say about Jesus is that he's a good guy. He's completely antagonistic to Christianity. Jess, he just no longer follows the Lord. He just doesn't care. He's just numbing out, trying to live life, just try to ignore the pain of what he's gone through, just ignore it as much as possible. Eric is leading a men's group at his church, and you got to, we see him in his community, and people just know him wherever he goes. He's witnessing to people. People are coming over to his house. He's opening his house all the time, just saying, hey, how can I share my life with you, and just lives his life the Lord. It's beautiful. And Adam, he's active in his local church. He's not allowed that moment to define his life. His son has now been freed from prison and he's now rebuilding. There's, and there's just, it's a story of redemption. Four stories. I will tell you today if you were sitting at these, if you knew these guys in 1990 and you were taking bets on which one would have which end of the story, you would probably get it wrong. Because I remember what those guys were like when they were your age. And I had different perspectives of where they probably would end up. So I say all this, why, I don't, you know, I say all this because I care about where you are right now. And I've been thinking about myself. Like, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? So I'd like to just end with this with just five thoughts for you guys to consider. You guys, adversity's gonna come. Like I said, you've already experienced it. But if you haven't, it's gonna come. It'll be unfair, it'll catch you by surprise, it won't be what you signed up for, it won't be good. The rains, the storm, the wind, it will come. Two, your first instinct, because I watched these four guys, your first instinct will be to doubt your faith in God's goodness. Again, some of you probably already know that already. You've already experienced adversity, and you're like, is God really good? Can I really trust him? Can I really build my life on a firm foundation of his love? Can I really do that? because it doesn't feel good. So your first instinct will be to do that. Your second instinct will be to pull away from church and community. Every one of them, that's what they wanted to do. I just want to go hide. just want to stay away. Dig myself into, you know, go in a corner, dig myself a hole, bury myself. How quickly can I get underground? I just got to get away, because the pain is too much. Here's the reality as I've watched these four guys. And two of them, I have a tough time. You can imagine the two that I have a tough time talking with when I can talk about this. Is this, is that your faith must be based more than a list of rules, ideas, and behaviors. You need a relationship. Because now that I've watched these four guys and I really assessed them and I really got to know them, I'm like, I can see now where Ray, and I forget to... Acronym I gave, or the, the pseudonym I gave for the other one, um, for Jess. That their life, there's just a lot of rules, a lot of rules. Things I got to do, things I got to perform. And even when you look to the outside, man, you look okay, that all look good. I mean, Ray was leading the people to, on the Lord on ski lifts, on bus at bus stops underneath it was just a list of rules there wasn't a relationship so i leave you with this build into your life today some of you here are saying you know what i feel like i'm already on the trajectory and i'm going to be a ray or a Jess i've watched i've i've counseled young men and women in schools like this and they say you know what I'm making the bad choices I really don't believe what I do but you, I deep down I know I don't want this and some of you in here you've got the performance down really good where's your relationship I tell my daughters this I'll close with this the Christian life is not a perfect life it's not a moral life It's a repentant life. How quick will you repent and seek Jesus and build a relationship there so that when the adversity comes, you know who to cling to? That's my prayer for you. And what a gift that this education gives you. My prayer is that you not just steward it, you'd build your life on that foundation so that you can bring glory and honor to your Father. So let me close and you're dismissed. So Father, I just thank you. for These men and women, I thank you for the life that they've chosen to live by coming here. And Father, I pray for those right now that you might be speaking to, just say, my heart is far from you, Father. God, I pray that they would return and repent and seek you quickly. And not be worried about their performance and what they need to do, but their relationship with you. And for those of us here who are really good at performance, oh, Father, break their heart. Cause them to know you, not about you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So good luck on your finals in a week and a half, and have a great semester. Take care.